1: Fun crazy, not creepy crazy, on The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy
3: Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Enjoys movies, comics, and so much more.
1: The Riley and Kimmy Show.
4: And the more that you listen, the more that you'll know. The Riley and Kimmy Show
5: And welcome to this episode, a Monday edition. That's right, we're happy about it. It's a Monday. If you're listening to us today, it's uploaded episode number 927. Kimmy! I got my name! Kimmy! Is right next to me. Hello everybody, hello everybody, everybody, everybody. everybody, 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 everybody,
6: everybody.
5: <laughs> Hi! Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. I am the villain of the story. I am, and the hero is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. How are you? I'm doing well. How are uh, you? I am doing very well. Are you all rested and ready to go for episode 927, a Monday episode? Yes, I am. And by the way, we were going to have you just do a uh, quick review, even though this thing's been out forever, but it took you forever to watch it. What is Kimmy's review of Jessica Jones?
6: Oh, um, I I liked it. I'll watch it again. I'll watch next season.
5: Okay, you're looking forward to that.
6: I like her. I um, yeah. Yeah, she I, reminds me
5: of somebody. Who? Oh, I'm not gonna say. But <laughs> Christina Ricci. I, she does actually, or Eva Green a little bit. Yeah. And in the real world, there's some some of her that I see in you in that character. Uh huh. Yes, I do, people, and I'll share that at one of our upcoming events. What else are we gonna say about? Uh... No, and and
6: uh, well, of course, you know, having David Tennant in it didn't hurt because he's great. I like him.
5: Okay, so are you looking forward to her meeting Daredevil? Yeah. Rumors are that possibly Ghostwriter will be the next villain who will appear oh. before he goes, you know, good, whatever. Unknown, unconfirmed, that is the case. Huh. So they are, uh, you know, gearing up for production for that, so. Okay. Yeah, I, I liked it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the ending. Okay. That's the only part. Just didn't care for the ending, the very ending. Okay. Yeah, all right.
6: Yeah, I kind of miss it.
5: You miss... uh, It's always
6: sad to watch that last episode, and then you can't watch another episode for a whole year.
5: Well, you know, Kimmy does not binge watch. She (sighs) watches maybe one, two episodes at a time per day when she decides to watch these shows. You're not Mm -hmm. one that just sits down and watches them nonstop all the way. And that last season of House of Cards, Kimmy made it through one episode, and I don't think you're going back to... No. That that one... (laughs)
6: No. All right, all right. But we found something better.
5: Oh, and Kimmy will be talking about that in the near future, right? Yes. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for playing reviewer. And, and I like you Netflix. It, well, yeah, thanks for the endorsement of Netflix there, Kimmy.
6: Well, that's where Jessica Jones is.
5: Yes, it is. That is where she is in Daredevil. In Daredevil. And soon Luke Cage Power Man will be.
6: And soon The Punisher.
5: And The Defenders. Mm-hmm. All of them right there. That's Kimmy's endorsement not necessarily mine, here on the Riley and Kimmy Show. Kimmy, moving over to nerd news and pop culture news and also some things that are happening in the non-pop culture world. I don't know if you caught bullfighter fatally gored by bull in Spain during a live TV broadcast. Oh, my. Yes, two men were killed by bulls during bullfighting events in Spain on Saturday, according to multiple records. One was a professional bullfighter, Victor Barrio, whose tragic death occurred in front of live spectators and also television viewers were able to see this happen during a competition that happened in Spain Saturday afternoon. That's according to Reuters. The 29-year-old was killed when the bull's horn fatally pierced his chest. Now, his death marks the first Spanish bullfighter to die in the ring since 2000. That's according to Reuters. The BBC confirms, saying that the last matador to die in a bullfighting incident in Spain was in 1985.
6: Now they don't hurt the bull because of that, do they?
5: I would assume they probably do. I don't know.
6: Because that's just what bulls do and you're you're I you're basically teasing the bull, aren't you or They
5: yeah, they do things to agitate the bull. Yeah, so we I will, hopefully
6: the bull's okay cuz it's not his fault. I, I mean, he's just
5: doing what bulls do. I don't know if the bull then becomes a special bull because it's you know, it. I have no idea if it, the bull then becomes even more valuable or not. I'm not certain about that. There's an episode. It's funny you mentioned that. We now tie it into a nerd thing. I wasn't even thinking of this. There's a classic episode of Columbo with Ricardo Montalban playing a a matador who kills the bull that kills his friend. But he actually caused the bull to kill the person he knew. Mm-hmm. So, that had a a tie-in there, in a way. Now, another Spanish man was killed during the famous running of the bulls at the age of 28. One of the bulls' horns pierced his lung and heart while he was trying to come to the aid of another. This man is the second person in two years to die during this specific event. In addition to the Spanish man who died, three Americans and one Canadian man were gored during the bull run which spans several days. The four men are reportedly expected to survive their injuries. Now, Kimmy, what do you think about this bull run thing? Should they keep doing that or are we now in the 21st century and it needs to move move on? Um, personally, I think it's ridiculous. Okay. And what about even though Hemingway and it's got classic history with it, you know, ran with the bulls and
6: I don't care. I think it's
5: What about bullfighting? Bullfighting. Stupid. Fighting? Bull fighting? stupid. You, you would like to see it gone. Mhm. All right. We have that story by the way available on our Nerd News section, you can find that at RileyandKimmy.com. And speaking of animals, if you like animals, mm-hmm. or you know somebody who does, be sure to tell them about our special show where we talk about animals, and that is animalspecial.com. We will have interviews and chats with people who have certain pets, also talk about pet care, about the animals themselves, And just interesting things that revolve around the world of pets and also animals. This can be anything, you know, dogs, of course, and cats and birds and parrots and parakeets. And maybe some unusual animals as well that might be considered good pets. And that includes maybe something, you know, that you may not think of. Have things like, you know, if you have somebody in your family that has allergies, we might have the type of pets that you might be interested in for that special person who has allergies. And also when you're looking at a certain pet, you may not realize exactly what kind of care is involved. And we'll try to find those answers for you with Animal Special. Now, if you know somebody that would be interesting for us to interview or a place or location we should appear at and support, let us know. AnimalSpecial.com is our Special website just for this. And we also have a special Facebook page totally dedicated just to animal things. Now, the Riley and Kimmy show, it's continuing. It's going on just as it has. We are a daily offering of pop culture nerd event information and fun and trivia and things like that. We talk about comic books, movies, TV shows, occasionally cosplay, and all kinds of things revolving around the world of nerd. And geek. And you can find that information available at rileyandkimmy.com. And if you like what we do, please, please share it with your friends. Help the show grow. We would love that. Right, Kimmy? Mm-hmm. And find out more linking to both locations, all social media and things like that at RileyandKimmy.com. Now, Kimmy, we are less than a week away from a certain movie that will be hitting theaters, and that movie just happens to be the reboot to Ghostbusters. And we have some of the reviews available right on our nerd news section at RileyandKimmy.com. One of them in particular is Yahoo's Ghostbusters movie review. It stinks. Well, that's kind of it just shortened right there. They say the high curiosity factor, the star's popularity, and movie gore's deep affection for the property should generate decent opening numbers for Sony, but then they go on that it's gonna drop right after that that opening, you mm. know, time. It's gonna plummet. Now, the new Ghostbusters follows the template of the original by Danny Aykroyd, and it doesn't have any of the original things, though, in it. Okay. Slimer's there with a new Slimer friend. hmm And actually, Slimer got some good nods, but the rest is not good.
6: That <laughs> is. I heard it, it just doesn't have very good buzz, and and, and the toys being on clearance already kind of tells something maybe
5: yeah it that kimmy is not kidding here we're not going to reveal what major chain but there is one out there we know of there might be others but one major chain already has the new ghostbusters action figures toys on discount Mm -hmm. can you believe that Mm. That, that's not a good sign doesn't bode well and and then somebody today was trying to defend that go well maybe they 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 ordered too much (laughs) I <laughs> go, uh, no, <laughs> because they're going to hang on to it until the movie's released if they think, you know, and they would sure. sell that. So, yeah, that that's not a good sign when it ends up in the budget bin already. But there's also a lot of uh, reports on this, uh, this reviews that we do have or the one we specifically have from Yahoo on our website in the Nerd News section. It, it talks about how the movie basically has no juice, short on both humor and tension. The spook encounters are basically a collision of cgi that is nothing they say there's no real suspense or fear in that and Mm. you can check it out with their own words as they really go down the world of being movie critics that movie critics get paid to do you know judging lighting sounding acting directing all that kind of stuff Mm. so do you have any desire to see that movie coming up next or this coming weekend kimmy
6: absolutely none
5: none zero even just let's just say for the fun of it if you had an opportunity to see that movie for free do you want to see it no (laughs) oh wow there we go now if you want to play movie reviewer if you happen to see it if you're one of those that says hey i want to give it a shot i don't care what any movie reviewer says that's fine we'd love to hear from you too you can play movie reviewer because you're the one that really matters i that kind of review means more to me than paid movie reviewer you know, somebody who's paying out of their own pocket to sees a film, it matters more to me. I think it's more important. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right, Kimmy, my question for you on this July 11th. Are you ready to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia? Woo, yeah. Let's go. All right. It is a July eleventh. We flip over the calendar. We record this in a very early hours. Yes, it's very, very early or very, very late, depending upon your viewpoint. We ask Kimmy a bunch of questions. She gets more of them right than wrong. She gets herself some pocket lint. She's building a pocket lint creature. I have no idea. I all I know is this creature is not going to be the size of a pocket unless it's like a giant's pocket because it's a lot of pocket lint. She's been winning lately, so we'll see if the winning continues with this episode. Of the Riley and Kimmy show. Now, Kimmy, are you ready for nerd pop culture geek trivia? Mm-hmm. All right, Kimmy, we have a question for you. At right. least be decent enough to wait until she gives her a rotten answer. All right, Kimmy. Hey. We, hey, hey, yes, we are ready for nerd and geek and pop culture trivia. Let's see how you do here on this day, Kimmy. It was on this date in history, the United States first Secretary of Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, was killed by whom? I don't know. Oh, boy, you don't know the very famous Hamilton-Burr duel that happened. Okay. All right, give me 1804 that happened. And why that's so significant is, I mean, put it in today's st- time, if you will. 1804, this happens. Alexander Hamilton, the first Secretary of State, and most likely will run for president in the very near future, this time period of 1804, is in a duel with the acting Vice President of the United States, Aaron Burr. And then Burr goes on the run. It's an actual drama that most people don't realize in the history. And Hmm. it's something that is really, really fascinating to check out and what happened and why it happened. And that is uh, on this date in history, 1804, Kimmy. All right, Kimmy, it was on this date, 1914. I'll tell you the date. Babe Ruth debuted in Major League Baseball. Tell me the team he debuted in. Major League Baseball, 1914 is the date.
6: New York Yankees? No. Pre- no.
5: Pre-Yankees. Oh. Some, somebody was with before them. Um, Cincinnati Reds? It was the Boston oh. Red Sox, Kimmy. Okay. It was on this date in history, 1962. The first transatlantic TV transmission was sent through Telstar 1 satellite. We asked you about Telstar in a previous episode of the Riley and Kimmy show, remember? Mm-hmm. All right, give me another baseball question for you. Here we go. It was on this date in history, he became the first major league pitcher to earn 4,000 strikeouts in a career. Um, Do you want the year? Would sure. That, I will give you the year. 1985. Nolan Ryan? Kimmy is 100% right. You, you got it. Can you tell me what team he was playing for, just out of curiosity? Houston Astros. Wow! Look at that, Kibby. Right out of the park. Yeah, Very good, Kibby. I am very impressed. Other things happening on this date in history. And by the way, we don't go linear. Sometimes we bounce all over the place. It was 1940. Yeah, we're like Quantum Leap. We go, mm-hmm. who knows? We go all over the timeline. It was 1946. Dean Martin recorded his first four songs. 1959, Joan Baez made her first recording. It was on this date, 1969. David Bowie's Space Odyssey single was released in the United Kingdom. All right, Gimme. moving over to birthdays, I'm going to give you an audio clue here. The individual having a birthday today, born on this date in history, wrote a certain book that became this film. See if you can identify the film slash book and then tell me the author, okay? Mm-hmm. Here, here's your audio clue.
0: I can talk. I can talk. <laughs> I can actually, factually talk. Isn't it great?
5: All right, Kimmy, can you tell me, as you're bouncing around in your chair, what that is to? Charlotte's Web. That's correct. Okay, movie and book, Charlotte's Web. Tell me who wrote the book. E.B. White. That's correct. And he passed away what year? Oh. Born on this date, passed away what year? Mm. Lived for 86 years. I'll give you that much of a clue. Nineteen seventy. He passed away in 1985, age of 86. Also wrote Stuart Little. Did you ever read that from 1945? I think that was read in class. And then Charlotte's Web in 52 and The Trumpet of the Swan in 1970. Hmm. Now Charlotte's Web was voted the top children's novel in 2012 survey of school library journal readers. And it's something that's repeated in earlier surveys. Hmm. One of your favorites?
6: Oh, yes. I I have
5: the record from the movie, saw the movie, read the book. Now, did you see the live-action make of the movie, remake? I don't know if it was remake. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember that movie. I don't know if yeah. I saw that.
6: Yeah. I believe we saw it. It's It wasn't, I don't know.
5: I love I, the animated movie.
6: I, I love the animated
5: one, too. It's yeah, really special to uh, me. Who wouldn't? It's got Paul Lennon, Mm who, You know, mm-hmm. plays what?
6: Uh, Tumbleton the Rat.
5: That That's correct. So, gotta love the original. Mm-hmm. Right, Kimmy? Who played Charlotte? Uh, Charlotte, Charlotte. Debbie Reynolds? Yeah. Whoa! Ooh! Oh. Out of nowhere. Agnes
6: Moorhead was in it.
5: Very good. I forgot about that.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, I'm trying to remember some of the other voices. The only ones I can remember is Paul Lynn, Debbie Reynolds, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, thank you. Kimmy. We're spending a little time on Charlotte's Web there. I love well, that story. same here. I do too. One of my favorites of all time. And that's one of the reasons I probably always wanted a pig, Kimmy. Mm. You know? Always kinda of wanted a pig. You know? Yeah. Kimmy. You know, wouldn't it be kinda of nice to have a pig? We can name him Wilbur. Mayor Wilbur. <laughs> wouldn't that be kinda of nice? Hey. Uh, see how Kimmy's digging with that? We'll talk more about that on Animal Special and give you something a uh, reason maybe to check us out as we talk about pigs. Mm-hmm. Maybe Getting a pig on AnimalSpecial dot This person having a birthday today came unfortunately no longer with us. Actor. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here is your audio clue. I have two of them in case you need them. Here is clue number one.
2: Moses. Moses. Nothing of this earth can make me bow to you, Moses. They shall remember the name of Moses.
5: One of the most powerful reads of all time, singer, dancer, actor director as well tell me who that is yule brunner that's correct kimmy did you ever see him in the king and i
6: um i don't think i've watched the whole movie
2: i've that head shall never be higher than mine when i shall sit you shall sit when i shall kneel you
6: shall kneel et cetera, etc cetera, etc cetera.
5: one of my favorite musicals of all time too and that is the king and i when did he pass away by the way kimmy um, In the 70s? No, he did not. He was around in the 1970s, did the science fiction movie Westworld. He played the uh, gunslinger in that movie. Mm. He was around in the 70s. Can you tell me when he passed away? In the 80s. That's correct. 1985. Okay. And Later than I thought. Yes. He passed away of cancer, lung cancer, which was from smoking. And I will not play. He did a, one of the most remarkable things on Earth is he did a public service announcement, commercials, about smoking and what it did to him uh, that he recorded knowing he is dying. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, I don't know what the arrangement was, but he knew or he wanted them not to make these public, air them till he was dead. And they started airing like right after he died. Mm -hmm. And he makes reference that if you're watching this, I'm dead. Yeah. Very powerful. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I cannot imagine, you know, uh, what he was going through at the time. I mean, I, I don't even know if you realize, he did The King and I over 4,600 times on mm. stage. Wow. And he was at the 4,000th performance, getting ready just hours before his 4,000th performance, and he was having problems, he thought maybe with his vocal cords a little bit. He was noticing, so he went in, and they found a lump on his vocal cords, but they actually determined he had inoperable lung cancer right then, mm. right before that 4,000th, episode but his vocal cords were not affected at all and he went on to continue to perform over 600 more shows Wow. before he did pass unbelievable Mm -hmm. yul brenner love his work Mm. all right kimmy moving over to this see if you can identify this person i'm going to give you a this should help in case you don't know this person did acting way before you were born and on in various things, not major headliner at all. Here is your audio clue. Tell me who this is. Well, it's a well-known fact that Annie always smoked funny cigarettes.
0: Well, actually,
7: what? Who? Arf! Arf! He ate her only dress. Well, she one only has dress. one dress. One, no, no, just watch it.
4: Yeah. yeah. Her yeah. only dress. She has only one dress. dress. Has a little
7: white Peter Pan collar.
4: <laughs> yeah, <I> remember that. <laughs>
7: That's enough.
8: Well, I could say
5: what I wanted to say to you on the air. Sorry. <laughs> now, this Kimmy? Kimmy's shaking her head there, but she knows who this is. Can you? You can. You any guess who that is? Now, I'll give you a clue here. Here is the game show. See so if you can identify the game show she was on. Oh. What's the game show? Match game. All right, Kimmy, knowing it's match game and knowing the answer that was given there and with that voice, do you now have a answer who that birthday person is? Brett Summers. That's correct. Brett uh, Brett Summers married to whom? Jack Klugman. That's correct. They never divorced, by the way. They separated, but they never divorced. Hmm. And you can see her on The Odd Couple playing his ex-wife, Blanche. Hmm. And by the way, he got her the role on Match Game. Because he was the first, one of the first. Well, he was the first set of panelists. He was part of that, and she was not. And he said, "Hey, she should be on the show." And this was 1973, so she was brought in. He got her the gig, and he left. She stayed on. Okay. Match game. Who was who'd she sit next to? Richard Dawson. No, Richard Dawson's in the bottom center. She's in the top center. Oh, Charles Nelson Riley. That's correct. Charles Nelson Riley is who she's she's next to. See, I I love that show. And you can catch that, by the way, on Buzzer TV, right, Kimmy? Mm -hmm. All right, Kimmy, moving over to some other birthdays. I'm not going to ask you who these people are or their ages because I have a feeling you would have no clue. Tab Hunter having a birthday. You have no clue who that actor is, I'm sure. Right? Mm. You do know who Tab is. Mm. All right, then tell me how old Tab Hunter is today. Very popular back in the 1950s. 89? He is 85 today. Bonnie Pointer having a birthday. What group is Bonnie Pointer with? The Pointer
6: Sisters? Fire.
5: Yes, Kimmy is correct. Bonnie Pointer of the Pointer Sisters having a birthday. How old is she today? 75. She is 66. Next birthday person for you, Kimmy. Identify who this is. Here is their one of their biggest hits.
6: My name is Luca.
3: I live on the second floor. I live upstairs from you. I can't
5: Come on, Kimmy, you know who this is. Mm-mm. Suzanne Vega.
6: Remember okay. her? You, Not
5: you, you don't remember Really? Her. Okay, she's 57 today. Richie Sambora of Bon Jovi having a birthday. How old is he? 65. He is 57. And moving over to our final celebrity here, Kimmy. Here is your audio clue. Tell me who this is. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Here's your audio clue. You and I,
4: we will both be great men. Because of each other. We have a destiny together, Clark. Only
5: on different sides. Our story hasn't been written yet, Cal. All right, Kimmy, there's your audio clue. Who is he?
6: Michael Rosenberg? Ah, That's close enough.
5: Michael Rosenbaum. Okay. Michael Rosenbaum, who played Lex Luthor in the TV series. Smallville. Yes, and I think a better Lex Luthor than what we just saw in the recent Oh, yeah. He should. Absolutely. They should have tapped into him. He should have been Luthor if he would have done it. Mm -hmm. All right, Kimmy, how old is Michael Rosenbaum today? 45? Pocket Lint Time, 44 today. Okay. There's wrapping up our celebrity birthdays and deaths on this date in history. That's that's it for today, Kimmy. Okay. Way to go. And also the almanac as well for nerd and pop culture trivia. Now, being a day that's kind of strange, if you will, because of Kimmy not knowing some history, I thought we'd go back in time and help her a little bit and also have fun at the same time with the golden age of radio. Radio is the Riley and Kimmy Show, going back in time to the old-time days of radio. Old-time radio, it's called OTR, Golden Age of Radio, when they did the theater of the mind. What we're doing today is we're focusing on the the Alexander Hamilton-Burr duel, Kimmy, that happened in 1804. And what we're doing right now is we got a couple of episodes of old-time radio that focus around that. And they're totally different. One of them being... An episode called A Friend to Alexander. It stars one of my favorite actors who's really not known, did so many movies and TV shows, and has a voice. He was fantastic. He also did Golden Age of Radio, obviously. And that's John Daner. Now, John Daner would play villains, and he played all kinds of characters. You might know him if you're old enough. I hope you're not, but you might be old enough if you watch the Doris Day TV show. Back in the late 60s, if you've seen that in syndication and stuff, he played either a boss or neighbor, I can't remember which. John Daner, just powerful read, very just a cool cat, too, at the same time. He could do westerns. He could do anything. Hmm. And, and you'd see him in some of the, like, I'm not going to say exactly, but I know he did uh, some Hitchcocks and things like that. He did shows. John Daner is in this. In a suspense episode called A Friend to Alexander, it deals, it's it's just weird. That's the best way to put it. And it is from August 15th, 1956. Followed uninterrupted, going right into something for those like Kimmy that have no clue what happened on this date in 1804. With that duel, we have a You Are There episode. Now, this thing is a trip in its own right. Because You Are There was done originally by CBS Radio, and they did it like a news crew covering historical events they did reenactments and it's it's bizarre It sort like a man on the street kind of thing back in the third. And i can say man instead of person because that's what they did with newsreels and things like that way back when they kind of do it like that so they go back to the duel and it's kind of reenacted with dialogue and things like that that'll give you a little bit of what actually happened in 1804 and it is it's different and it's Historical And it's trippy, too, in its own right. And I'm surprised they actually had a radio program like that. They, they cover all kinds of things. And this is just one of them they do. This is You Are There, January 11th, 1948. It's called The Burr-Hamilton Duel. That follows the John Daner episode, A Friend to Alexander, which we kick things off with the old-time radio episodes here on The Riley and Kimmy Show.
2: And now... Tonight's presentation of Radio's Outstanding Theater of Thrills. Suspense. Tonight, we bring you a classic short story by James Thurber. So now, starring Mr. John Daner, here is our suspense play, A Friend to Alexander.
8: I've taken to dreaming about Aaron Burr every night.
3: What for?
8: How do I know what for? What for, the woman says.
3: You do look tired, Harry.
8: Well, a session like I had last night is worse than no sleep at all. I should look tired.
3: Aaron Mm. Burr. (laughs) He's a funny person to be dreaming about nowadays. I mean, with all the talk about the A-bombs and the H-bombs and the election and everything. I, I wish you'd go see Dr. Fox. Oh, nonsense. Well... Maybe you need some different vitamins. Or maybe some of those new pills. Those, um, uh, Starax, uh, Aratrix. Uh, what do they call them again? Uh,
8: Reserpine, Chlorpromazine, one of the tranquilizers?
3: No, no, it's another name.
8: Oh, Ataraxix. Oh, that's Adaraxics. it. tranquilizer tranquilizers, all the same thing.
3: Well, maybe you need some of those. They're supposed to do wonders for people.
8: All I need is to stop seeing Aaron Burr every time I close my eyes.
3: I don't see why you see him in your dreams. Where do you see him?
8: Oh, places, maybe Washington Square, Bowling Green, or on Broadway.
3: Right here in town? Oh, odd. I... We well,
8: lived in New York, you know. I'll be talking to a woman in a Victoria, or a woman holding a white lace parasol. Oh? And, yeah, and suddenly there's Burr, bowing, smiling, and smelling like a carnation.
3: Uh, Harry, will you get me a cigarette, please?
8: Sure. He'll be telling his stories about France, and getting off his insults, and... Here you are, Bess. Hey. When did you start smoking before breakfast?
3: Just hold the light where I can reach it, please.
8: All right.
3: Who is the woman in the Victoria, Harry?
8: Hmm, what?
3: That you dream about.
8: Oh, how do I know people in dreams? They're nobody at all or everybody?
3: You see, Aaron Burr, plainly enough. I mean, he isn't nobody or everybody. All right, all right,
8: but I don't know who the woman is. Maybe it's Madame Jumel or Mittens Willard or a girl I knew in high school. It's not important
3: is mittens willett
8: well she was a famous actress 75 years ago or so she's buried in an old cemetery on second avenue
3: oh oh goodness you're so well read hmm. it's very sad about mittens willett isn't it
8: why why is it
3: well i mean she probably died young almost all women did in those days oh harry please don't pace back and forth like that
8: you you know what he did I was standing, talking to Alexander Hamilton, and Burr stepped up and slapped him in the face.
3: Alexander Hamilton? My goodness. Yes,
8: and then when I looked at Hamilton, who do you suppose he was?
3: I don't know, dear. Who was he?
8: He was my brother. The one who was killed by that drunk in the cemetery.
0: Just stand aside, there,
8: fellow. Mm-hmm. Huh? Why? Why should I? Perhaps you don't recognize a former officer of the Revolutionary Army and a United States Senator. I recognize you, all right, Burr. You may have been an officer, but Washington hated you. And as for winning that election for my friend's father-in-law, well, I'll bet there was something crooked about the way the ballots were counted. Ha! <laughs>
3: more bacon, Harry. Another egg. Huh? Did the Giants win last night? It is the Giants you like, isn't it? Oh.
8: I wish he'd go back to France and stay there.
3: Who, dear? What do you think? Oh, you mean Aaron Burr. Did you dream about him again? Uh. I don't see why you dream about him all the time. Um, Don't you think you ought to take some luminol?
8: No, 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 no. Last night he kept shoving Alexander around.
3: Alexander? Uh,
8: Hamilton. I certainly know him well enough by this time to call him by his first name. He hides behind my coattails every night, practically.
3: Oh, Harry, dear. You shouldn't dwell on your nightmares or, or whatever they are.
8: Ooh. That's what they are. There's no mistake about it.
3: We ought to get out in the country over the weekend. Why don't we go to the old Drover's Inn? You like it, man. You know,
8: Hamilton has not only become my brother, Walter, but practically every guy I ever really liked... Well, that's just natural, I guess.
3: Well, of course it is, dear. Oh, uh, Harry, I do wish you'd go to Dr. Fox.
8: I'm going to the zoo and feed popcorn to the rhinoceros. That makes things seem all right. For a little while, Anyway. Oh, you're not going through with it, Burr? Certainly I'm going through with it. He accepted the challenge. But Mr. Hamilton had no intention of harming you. He just proved that. Your friend brought this on himself, fellow. Hamilton called me, and I use his own words, a dangerous man of whom I could detail a more despicable opinion. Let this be a warning that Aaron Burr brooks insult from no man. No! No! Don't! Alexander, look out, he's gonna to... Oh no! Oh. Harry! Oh Harry. Well, dear, no. wake up! Wake up, oh, dear! Oh Bess! Bess, find the light, please.
3: Harry! Bess. Oh, you frightened Bess. me so. <laughs> yes, yes, there. Oh, dear. Uh, uh, what was it? Bert got him. He got Alexander. Oh, Bess, that dirty oh, rotten. Harry, Harry, rotten. let me hold you. It's all right, dear. It's all right. But, uh, it was just another nightmare, but it's all Alexander. Right now. He just fired into the air. He fired into the
8: air and smiled at him just like Walter and then. There, there, uh,
3: Harry. Oh, oh. some Nembatals in the and, door here. And
8: then, the and then Bird, a fiend, he took deliberate aim. I, I saw him take deliberate aim, and he he killed poor Alexander in cold blood. Here, take this, Harry.
3: Then you'll be able to go back to sleep.
8: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I ran to Alexander, but he was dead. There was, there was just nothing I could do.
3: You better take another deer. Two won't hurt you. And
8: then Burr swaggered over. He's always a nasty, sneering, foppish man, and he stood over us and he actually laughed. And and I looked down at Alexander. And his face was Walter's face. Oh,
3: Harry, it Harry, was Wal- darling, darling. Look, I'm I'm going to stay here with you for the rest oh. of the night. Everything oh. will be all right, and we'll go and see the doctor tomorrow. Oh.
0: Just what seems to be the trouble, Mr. Andrews? Nothing seems to be the trouble.
3: He has nightmares, Dr. Fox.
0: Oh, I see. You look a little underweight, perhaps. Are you eating well, Mr. Andrews? Getting enough exercise? I'm
8: not underweight. I eat the way I always have and get the same exercise.
3: Now, Harry, your appetite certainly isn't good in the morning.
8: Naturally not in the
0: morning.
3: You see, Doctor, I, I think he's worried about something because he always has this same dream. Same dream, eh? It's about his brother, Walter, who was killed in a cemetery by a drunken man. Only, it, it isn't really about him. It's Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton.
0: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, very few people actually killed in cemeteries. Uh, well, um, would you mind stepping into the next room, Mr. Andrews? You may as well begin with the electrocardiograph and proceed with basal metabolism, cranial microchrography. Uh, And, uh, so, from what we can determine thus far, I think we can say that you're in tip-top shape, Mr. Andrews. I make it a point to keep in shape. I very much doubt that the lab will turn up anything. Meanwhile, we know that uh, the heart of yours is fine, sound as a dollar.
3: Oh, Harry, that's wonderful news.
0: Even sounder, I might say. (laughs) If uh, my bent was toward economics rather than medicine. (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, bills I, uh... Gave you, will fix up any temporary difficulty you may experience in uh, falling asleep.
3: Well, it wasn't the falling asleep, Dr. Fox. It, it was what happened after he got there.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you might uh, call me in a week or so, Mr. Andrews. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Come on, Bess. Well, mm-hmm.
3: Goodbye, Doctor, and thank you so much.
0: Not at all. Nice to see both of them.
8: Well, I hope you're satisfied. There's nothing the matter with me at all.
3: Oh, I'm glad your heart's so fine. He said it was fine, you know. Sure,
8: it's fine. Everything's fine.
3: And I was thinking, dear, now that Alexander Hamilton is dead, you won't see anything more of Aaron Burr.
8: And the man says, I quit because I couldn't stand the cooking odor.
0: Oh, (laughs) Mr. Ed! How priceless.
8: Yeah, I I thought it was rather (laughs) funny myself. I failed to see the humor. I thought it rather coarse. Oh, it's you, Burr. Why don't you leave, my good man? I'll leave after I've had a talk with you, maybe. Not before. I see. Lovely ladies, will you excuse me for a moment?
4: Certainly, Mr. Burr. Come,
8: Lady. Now, my good man. And don't you, my good man, me, you Murderer. I presume you refer to the affair of honor in which I engaged Hamilton? (laughs) You know darn well I do. Let me say merely that had I been called a murderer by one more nearly my equal, I should deal with him as I dealt with Hamilton. Just who are you anyway, ubiquitous Claude? I am Henry Andrews. Harry to my friends, I'm an architect. An architect. And you presume to converse with a soldier, a barrister, the second-highest elective officer of the republic, and a gentleman. You may be all those things except the last one, but you disobeyed your superiors in the army. As far as I'm concerned, your kind of lawyers are on an ethical level with jockeys. You're vice president all right enough, but you tried to double-cross Jefferson so you'd get the top job. And, And don't go calling yourself a gentleman because you deliberately shot Alexander after he had fired his bullet into the air. But I fired mine with my eyes closed. You what? Certainly. Or as my French friends say, certainement. Oh, and incidentally, don't you and your French friends try any funny business with that Mexican conquest and settlement deal either. You're liable to end up in court on a charge of treason. We were discussing my marksmanship. Let me inform you that I have upon occasion hit the ace of spades at 30 paces blindfolded. I'll bet. If you were not so far beneath me, I would send my seconds to call upon you. Henceforth, be on your good behavior, fellow. I shall have one of my lackeys give you a taste of a riding crop.
3: More coffee, Harry? Harry!
8: Bess, Bess, don't! Don't do that,
3: best. But you were a million miles away. No, I
8: wasn't. I've been sitting right here.
3: Did you have another dream about that man?
8: Oh, I wish I'd never told you about it. Just forget it, will you?
3: I can't forget it with you going on this way. Harry, I, I think you ought to see a psychiatrist.
8: Oh, they're all quacks, a pack of quacks. Dr. Fox told you I was all right.
3: What does he do now?
8: What does who do now? Aaron Burr. Oh, well, he goes around bragging that he dueled Hamilton with his eyes closed. Furthermore, since you asked me, he jostles me at parties now.
3: Harriet. I've simply got to get you away from here. Maybe if you slept someplace else for a few nights. What
8: what place else?
3: Well, why don't we go to the country for the weekend? Let's go to Lime Rock Lodge.
8: Well, if if we're going to the country, why don't we visit the Crowleys? You like them, don't you?
3: Oh, of course I do.
8: Bob has a pistol. And we could do a little target shooting.
3: Oh, what do you want to shoot a pistol for? I should think you'd want to get away from that.
8: Yeah, sure. I just might have figured out how to get away from it.
7: Sister, fifty times just as fast as you can. Ha ha. That's the secret of a martini, (laughs) boy.
8: (laughs) Well, nobody makes them like you, Bob.
7: Ah, thank you. Ah, Bess? Alice? Thank you, darling. Uh,
8: Harry. Thank you, Bob. Uh Well, uh, here's a go. Down the hatch. (laughs)
4: Cheers.
8: Well, how you been, boy? Oh, never better, Bob. Never better. Gee. It's good to be here.
3: (laughs) Oh, a nice, peaceful weekend is just what Harry needs. (laughs) We were so pleased when you called. We've simply been vegetating. The servants are getting fed up with taking care of just the two of us. Oh, do you still have Madison and Clotheda? Oh, of oh, course. They are so priceless.
8: Uh, is not he been busy, Harry? No, not too. Did a big provincial house out in Southampton. We got a 26-story office building on the boards. Wow, and he yeah. says he hasn't been too busy. Well.
3: Oh, you ought to see the building. I mean, it's going to be all bronze and, and acrobatic glass. Huh?
8: <laughs> Excuse me while I kiss my wife. She huh? She means with actinic glass oh. and copper, dear, but... <laughs> Mm, I wouldn't know what to do without her
3: <laughs> Oh, you kids, you don't change a bit. You're yeah,
8: married 14 years and still on honeymoon uh,
3: It's 15, isn't it,
7: dear? Yep Well, um, how about refills? Can't let the eyes dilute the vermouth
3: Oh, as soon as I check Lothita on dinner, dear Oh, want to come out to the kitchen and say hello to her best? I'd love to Don't you boys go drinking our dividend?
7: Oh, lots more where that came from Oh, here you are,
8: boy These are the greatest Thank you How's it with you, Bob? Oh,
7: couldn't be better least that you're here. Kind of a lonesome grind finishing the book. Yeah, I'll bet. You got it all buttoned up? Oh, just about. Um, excuse me for bringing it up, Harry, but um, you feeling better about Walter now?
8: Oh, yeah. It was just one of those things. No use brooding about it, I guess. The guy who killed him is put away. Sure.
7: Oh, I know how tough it was, but now you've got the right slant on it.
8: Well, sir, what can we offer you in the way of a pleasant weekend? Just what you always give us, some relaxation. The first thing I want is a good night's sleep. Oh,
7: well, this is the place to get it. Uh, Come on, drink up there, sir.
8: Sure. Hmm. (sighs) Hey, you still fool around with your target pistols?
7: Uh, yeah, yeah, every once in a while. I got me a pip of a set, of new ones, the latest. Let's try them out
8: tomorrow. See if you can teach me to hit a barn door or something.
7: Hey! Yaha! That's pretty good, Harry. Come on over and take a look.
8: Better, huh? Oh! You think I'm getting the hang of it now? Sure,
7: you are. All six shots in the tree and two of them on the target, yeah. Hey, they aren't that. Well, not exactly eyes, but look, this one's just a shade above the outside ring.
8: Yeah, that's a lot better. Sure. Bob, would you say that that bullseye is about the height of a fairly short man's heart? Uh, well, oh,
7: just about.
8: Okay, I'll try something. <laughs> One, two, uh, three. Well, what are you four, up to, boy? Five. Well, what's six, the idea? Seven, eight. Well, what are you going to do? Nine, ten.
7: Hey! Hey! Any of them hit the target? Hit the target, man. If I hadn't flattened, two of them would have hit me. What do you think you're
8: doing? Well, isn't that the way they used to pace off in the old days when when, when they fought duels? Well, I guess so, but whew, you gave me a scare. Oh? Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were
7: standing <laughs> oh, so that's... close. Oh, that's
8: okay. Well,
7: uh, come to think of it, Harry, I don't think they paced off with a gun held straight up in the air like you did. I think they kept their arm hanging, you know, straight down. Oh? Yeah. One, uh, look, two... Harry, three, no, four, uh, don't four, try it again, five, for the love of... Ha- six, hey, Harry, seven, uh, no,
0: Never don't!
8: Any of them on target?
7: How can I tell if they're on the
8: target when...
0: Hey, look, Harry,
7: never close your eyes. Never, never, never fire with your eyes closed. Well, I just thought I'd try it that way. Good Lord, man, come on, give me that gun, will oh, you? Oh,
8: sure, sure, here, I... I guess I need more practice.
7: Not with me standing around. Well, come on, let's get back to the house and shake up
8: a drink, Boy, I've got the jumps. I sure do. I need a lot more practice. As I so aptly put it to General Arnold at Quebec, a defensive strategy may save men, but an offensive force wins the battle. That's why I hate you, Burr. Human lives mean nothing to you. Ah, observe now who says he hates me. Henry Andrews. One Henry Andrews, an architect. Look, don't don't you ever push me again. One Henry Andrews, an architect. A menial laborer. Now, you just wait a minute. You have to go to college to be an architect, you know. I fail to recall the subject on the curriculum at the College of New Jersey where I matriculated. Well, maybe they didn't teach it there, but look what College of New Jersey turned out to be. Princeton, and you're bragging. May I remind you of your previous conversation? The one in which I discussed my unerring marksmanship? And may I remind you that you killed my friend Alexander? <laughs> A friend to Alexander. Use care, my man. The phrase might well make an epitaph. Well, challenge me. Go ahead. I dare you. I dare you. Harry! I dare Harry, you. Harry, wake dare up. You, just... Please, wake up. Huh? 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 Harry. Best don't, don't. Don't shake me like that.
3: But darling, you were practically shouting. <laughs> And it's only 4 o'clock. You wake Bob and Alice. One
8: Henry Andrews, an architect. That's what he calls me now.
3: Oh, I hoped you weren't going to dream about him anymore. I thought if I brought you up here, you It's might... him
8: or me, Bess. I, I can't stand this forever.
3: Oh, neither can I, Harry.
8: Oh, Bess, dear. It's all right. I'm sorry. Look. Now, look, honey, you go back to sleep and forget the whole thing. It'll be daylight soon. I'm going to sneak out very quietly and get some air.
3: Bob.
7: Yes, yes, Alice, I'm awake. I heard them.
3: Not again. I'm
7: afraid so. He's out there peppering away at that doggone tarp.
3: We better get up, Bob. Yeah. Go out and get him, and I'll put on some coffee. Yeah,
7: he'll need some. Where's that other darn slipper? Oh, I got it.
3: Does he walk in his sleep or what?
7: Well, Bess says he never walks in his sleep.
3: Do you see He'll be petrified again. Madison, too, I suppose.
7: Tell him what you told him yesterday, that he couldn't sleep and he just went out to shoot a little. I'm
3: so glad to see them. But I'll be so glad when they go this afternoon.
7: Me, too. Well, oh, come on, dear. You know, he said a funny thing when I went out to get him yesterday.
3: I could stand a funny thing.
7: I'll get him one of these nights, he said.
3: I don't suppose poor Bess can sleep through this.
7: Let's see how she could. Better knock at her door and see if she's ready for some coffee, too.
3: Bob, what's wrong with Harry, anyway?
7: Search me. I guess it's like Clotheda said. He just seems to have the chutes. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry the weekend turned out like it did, dear.
8: No, it's all right. I thought it might work, too. And in a way, maybe maybe it did work.
3: Well, it does seem good to be home. I mean, our own apartment and our own things, our own schedule. Yeah,
8: this is better. Another nightcap miss?
3: No, dear, but you go right ahead. Yeah,
8: I'll have one more splash and then turn in. Oh, golly, I'm tired. Harry. Oh.
3: Why don't you sleep in my room tonight?
8: Well, you'd keep shaking me all night to keep me awake.
3: No, no, I wouldn't, dear. Only if you.
8: You're afraid to let me meet him. Oh,
3: I am afraid, Harry. Terribly afraid. Well,
8: why do you always think everybody else is better than I am? I can outshoot him the best day he ever lived.
3: That isn't what I meant about being afraid.
8: <laughs> Furthermore, I have a modern pistol. He has to use an old fashioned single shot muzzle loader.
3: Well, is that quite fair harry what do i care if it's fair or not oh, please don't be mad with me harry harry I... oh, i'm so unhappy
8: i'm i'm sorry dear don't you worry about me bess i'll be all right i'll be fine we we'd better go up dear now please don't don't cry anymore
3: well i, I i'm tr- trying to stop
8: sure sure now now good night kiss darling Everything's going to be fine. I'm ready to take care of everything now.
3: No matter what happens, I love you, Harry. I've loved you more every day we've had together. Kiss me again, dearest. Kiss me just once more.
8: Very well, Andrews. My code as a gentleman will permit no further insolence. If you insist upon ending it thus... I do insist. I assume your blindfold is secure. I assume yours is. <laughs> and we have agreed upon ten paces. Well, are you ready, fellow? You bet I am. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. Six, seven.
2: (laughs) You're his regular physician, are you, Doctor Fox? That's right.
0: I examined him only four or five days ago. So
2: the lady said. That's why we called you in. As long as he's been under treatment within 30 days, you just sign the death certificate, and our office doesn't have to bother with an autopsy. I understand. Usual procedure. I know it's I know it's tough on you, Mrs. Andrews, the shock and all, but it's the way I hope it happens to me when the time comes. Peaceful, quiet, quick. In my own bed.
0: Heart just quits. You know, it's extraordinary. His heart was sound as a dollar when I examined him. Now it's just stopped, as if he'd been shot. They'll go that way sometimes.
3: D- Dr. Fox. Hmm? Look. Harry's right hand.
0: Mm-hmm. Clenched a bit, Mrs. Andrews. Nothing unusual.
3: But... But the three bottom fingers. And the thumb. Like... Like they were gripping a handle. Mm-hmm.
0: Rather, yes.
3: Mm-hmm. And see the... The index finger... How it's curved, as if he were just about to press the trigger on a pistol. All
2: rigor mortis, Mrs. Andrews. The hands will take an odd position sometimes in rigor mortis.
3: Harry never even fired a shot. Aaron Burr killed him, the way he killed Alexander and Hamilton. Mrs.
2: Andrews, take it easy.
3: Aaron Burr shot him through the heart. I knew he would. I knew he would.
0: Doctor, what in the name? Oh, of poor Andrews. I should have done something at the time. This could even have been contributory. I'm not too sure I follow you. You see, she came in with her husband the other day. She spoke and she acted most peculiarly. I I should have done something. But what is this Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton business? Huh? Obsessive hallucination of hers. Mrs. Andrews very evidently suffers from one of the schizoid psychoses. Oh, yeah. I'm afraid she'll have to be committed.
2: Suspense, in which Mr. John Daner starred in tonight's presentation of A Friend to Alexander. Be sure to join us again when we bring you another presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills. That's next time on Suspense. Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed in Hollywood by Anthony Ellis. You have heard A Friend to Alexander, written by James Thurber and adapted for Suspense by Fran von Hartesfeld. The music was composed and conducted by Fred Steiner. Featured in the cast were Paula Winslow, Ben Wright, Victor Rodman, Miriam Wolfe, Charlotte Lawrence, Joseph Kearns, and Larry Thor.
1: This is John Daly speaking from a hidden cleft of rocks just below the famous dueling grounds on the heights of Weehawken, New Jersey, directly across the Hudson River from New York City. On this morning of July 11th, 1804, a small boat is making its way from the New York side of the river towards this point. The boat is about 200 yards away, and five men are aboard. It's a very clear, sunny morning. Visibility is excellent, and I can say without doubt that one of the men in that boat is the Vice President of the United States, Mr. Aaron Burr. Although in itself there is nothing extraordinary in the fact that Mr. Burr is on a boat crossing the Hudson River this morning... July 11,
2: 184,
1: Weehawken, New Jersey. You are
2: there. Aaron Burr on his way to the dueling grounds at Weehawken, New Jersey. CBS takes you back 144 years to the climactic moment in the lifetime conflict between two of the most famous men in American history. All things are as they were then, except for one thing. When CBS is there... You are there. You are there, produced and directed by Robert Louis Sheehan, is based on authentic historical fact and quotation. And now, July 11,
1: 1804, the duelling grounds at Weehawken, New Jersey, and, and John, John and Daly. This shore on this morning of July 11th, 1804, means we believe that mr burr is coming to this famous dueling ground to fight the leader of the federalist party and this nation's first secretary of the treasury mr alexander hamilton you will naturally ask how cbs comes by this intelligence since there has been absolutely no indication that a duel between colonel burr and general hamilton was in the offing cbs heard a rumor that the duel would take place here this morning and here is ned kalmer to tell you about that rumor
9: This duel is supposed to be a secret, but we have it on good authority that at least seven prominent persons know about it, and perhaps as many as 10. When CBS heard the rumor, and naturally were not at liberty to disclose its source, we immediately tried to check it, but could find no corroboration. However, as John Daly has just told you, Colonel Burr and General Hamilton are old political enemies. John and I have been hidden here in the rocks below the dueling ground since dawn. The shore, directly across from us, is black with forest, or in some places, bright with sloping lawn. Farther downstream, is New York City proper, a teeming metropolis of some 30,000 people. There was always the possibility, of course, that the rumor of the duel would prove false, but as soon as we recognized Colonel Burr on that boat, we knew that the rumor was true, and we went on the air to bring you an eyewitness account of this affair. John, you've been studying the boat while I've been talking. Do you recognize any of the men with Colonel Burr?
1: Well, i've recognized two of them one is mr matthew davis a new york politician the other is mr william van ness a well-known new york lawyer both mr davis and mr van ness are old friends of colonel burr's the man at the oars i suppose is the professional bargeman hired to row the party across and the last man i can't recognize perhaps he's a doctor or another friend of aaron burr's colonel burr is seated in the stern of the boat next to mr van ness both men are facing this way but they can't see us, because these rocks in which we are hiding are screened from the river by foliage and bushes. Our vantage point is also hidden from the dueling ground directly above us, although we can observe it through a crevice in the rocks. Of course, our own boat by which we crossed the river is hidden upstream. Just a
9: second, another boat is coming this way now from the New York side, John. It's also coming upstream from the direction of the village of Greenwich. It looks as though there are four men aboard, I can't tell yet whether it's General Hamilton's party. It could be just a group getting an early start for a picnic up the river. And yet the chances are very good that it is Hamilton. Our tip about the duel came from a very reliable source. Though dueling to settle questions of honor is a common practice these days, as you know, it's forbidden by law both in New York and New Jersey, and any participants or witnesses are technically liable to fines and even jail. So. Dueling parties have to be careful and cautious. CBS is well aware that by broadcasting this duel, we might be accused of technical violation of the law. However, this is no ordinary duel, and CBS considers itself reluctantly obliged to report
1: this event. For the moment, Ned, let's turn our attention to Colonel Burr's party, which has just landed. Their boat has been made fast to a large boulder about 20 feet below and downstream. All five men are hurrying up the rocks now to our right, and from now on... Ned Kalmer and I will lower our voices lest we be overheard. Van Ness is in the lead, Aaron Burr directly behind, the other three following. They've passed out of sight for the moment, hidden by the rocks directly to our right, but should appear, reappear on the dueling ground behind us. The shelf, the actual dueling ground, is a level clearing about 15 paces long, no more than six feet wide. Behind it rises the sheer rock wall of the heights, There is nothing but rock to the left and the right of it. If you can imagine a gigantic bird's nest hollowed in a cliff, rock on three sides and bushes on the other, well, then you have a picture of it. Incidentally, this dueling ground is the exact place where General Hamilton's eldest son, Philip, was killed in a duel three years ago almost to the day. No one has appeared yet. Oh, I beg your pardon, Mr. Van Ness has appeared. He's climbing up on the grassy shelf. He carries a small pistol case under one arm and an umbrella. Just why the umbrella is a mystery, for it certainly doesn't look like rain today. He's up on the level ground now. He's turned to help Colonel Burr, but the latter ignores his hand, steps up upon the ledge himself. Both men have paused. They're looking the ground over moving toward the center of the shelf. I don't know where the other three men are, but very probably they're hiding on the other side of the ledge. Colonel Burr and Mr. Van Ness are standing directly in the center of the ledge now. We're slightly underneath it, looking up at it, and a few yards upstream from it. That's as close as we dare get. To get closer is to risk discovery and revealing to the duelists that we are here. So it's as if we were seated in the orchestra of a theater a little to the right, and looking up at the stage. Just a minute,
9: John. That boat out there is no picnic party. It's turning into this shore. The boat is still too far away for me. No, I can see. There are four men aboard. And yes, it is General Hamilton and his party. The rumor was true there is to be an appointment of honor between Aaron Burr and General Hamilton. The Hamilton boat is going to land a trifle upstream from where we are now. So let's turn our attention back
1: to the dueling ground. Colonel Burr and Mr. Van Ness are looking the ledge over, talking quietly. We can't hear what they're saying, but we have planted a microphone in the rocks surrounding the ledge. The men aren't standing very close to it, but maybe, just maybe, we can pick up some of that conversation. So let's open the... Hidden microphone and listen.
8: It's Now take that i down here.
1: As we feared, the men are too far away, so we might just as well shut that hidden microphone off. Both Burr and Mr. Van Ness have taken off their coats. They've laid them on a log, along with a pistol case and that umbrella. If our vice-president is nervous, he certainly shows no sign of it. As a matter of fact, you might think that once the ledge is cleared to his satisfaction, he'll spread a lunch out upon the grass and then sit down and enjoy it. They've paused now. They're looking over the ground that they've cleared of shrubbery and underbrush, talking to each other, seated on a log, waiting patiently. Both of them are very calm.
9: The Hamilton boat is landing now. As we explained, it's only about 20 feet from here down to the river. But the boat is landing upstream about 30 yards, as I make it, to my left. The sun is shining on the backs of the four men. There's General Hamilton. Yes, I recognize David Hosack, General Hamilton's personal physician, the well-known New York doctor. I don't know who the fourth man... Yes, yes, I do. He's Nathaniel Pendleton, the prominent consular at law. Both of the duelists, please notice, have lawyers as seconds. Van Ness, Burr's man is a lawyer. And so is Pendleton, acting for General Hamilton.
1: These names may prove confusing, Ned, so let's get it straight. Pendleton is Hamilton's second, and Van Ness is Burr's.
9: That's it, and now the boat has touched the bank. The bargeman is jumping ashore, making fast. Mr. Pendleton is on land, followed by General Hamilton. Now Dr. Hosack. Pendleton and the general are now coming up over the rocks to the dueling ground. Dr. Hosack and the bargeman are directly below us. They seem to be headed for the hideout where Colonel Burr's friends are located. Colonel Burr and Mr. Van Ness haven't moved from that log they're sitting on. At this moment, they look like two statues or Mr. Pendleton's head peering over the ledge. Now he's on solid ground. General Hamilton quickly following. They're both watching Colonel Burr and Mr. Van Ness. Colonel Burr picks up his black silk coat from a log. He's putting it on, bowing to the new arrivals. And they, in turn... Acknowledge the greeting, now they're all grouped within a few feet of each other, somewhat closer to our hidden microphone. Let's try it again. That's really unfortunate. I'd give anything to bring you that conversation clearly. But the men keep moving, so we'll close the mic again. Hamilton has said very little so far. Burr has said nothing at all. Neither of the principals has spoken one word to the other. The seconds seem to be doing all the talking. Mr. Pendleton is carrying a pistol case not unlike Mr. Van Ness's. Undoubtedly, Dr. Hosack is here to attend either man. Everything seems to be quite friendly. But the seconds are opening the
1: pistol cases, drawing forth the weapons. They're really going to fight. We had hoped that this would not happen, but it is happening now. The seconds are examining the pistols carefully. They both seem to be satisfied. And they've begun to measure off the ground while Burr and Hamilton look on. Seven, eight, nine, ten, exactly ten paces. They're marking the spots where the contestants will stand and fire. Duelists do not place their backs to each other, then walk the ten paces, turn and fire, as is done in Europe. Here, in this country, they fire from fixed positions. Colonel Burr and General Hamilton have still not spoken to each other... And if they intend to settle this matter peacefully, they'd better hurry, because the seconds are now loading the pistols. General Hamilton is rather nervous. He seems to be. He shifts his feet about a great deal. The general is 47, a year younger than Burr. Physically, however, the two men are amazingly alike, small and slender. They carry themselves with a military bearing. Their eyes are penetrating, their voices soothing. I've heard them many times at the bar pleading cases against each other. Both are, as they always are, fashionably dressed. The pistols are loaded now. And I suppose that the seconds are going to draw straws to decide which... No, Mr. Pendleton is flipping a coin instead. It strikes the ground, and he smiles. Evidently, he won the choice as to where General Hamilton will stand, and it also means that Pendleton will give the order to fire. The seconds, now handing the pistols to the opponents, Burr and Hamilton are walking to their positions... And if Mr. Pendleton won that toss, and I think he did, he's certainly not giving Hamilton, his own man, the advantage. He's chosen the upper end of the ledge for Hamilton, which at this hour isn't the best. Hamilton will have to face the morning sun and the glare of the river. The men are standing on their marks, waiting. Colonel Burr is facing westward, toward the heights, his left side and his shoulder drenched in sunlight. Hamilton's back is to the heights. He's gazing over the river, toward the city. The cavity of rocks in which he stands is hardly four feet wide. Makes a perfect background with himself as target. The seconds have retired out of range. It doesn't look as though anything could stop them now they've gone so far. Mr. Pendleton is stating the final instructions. He's speaking loudly, so we'll open our hidden microphone. I'm going
9: to give them loudly once more. Listen carefully as I repeat. I shall loudly and distinctly give the word present. Any time after the word present, you may fire as soon as you please. If one of the parties fires and the other has not fired, the opposite second shall say one, two, three, fire. And he shall then fire or lose his shot. A snap or a flash is a
1: fire. Are the
9: gentlemen ready?
1: I'm sure you heard him clearly. These rocks give a curious echo effect now. Both men are poised, waiting. When Mr. Pendleton calls present, you'll hear firing. No, General Hamilton has stepped to one side. Perhaps he's decided not to fight. Hamilton is speaking to his second. Now he's leveling his pistol in different directions. Can you figure out what's wrong Ned? He may be having trouble
9: with the light, John. Now he's leveling his pistol again. No, he's reaching into his pocket for
1: something. Spectacles. That's it, spectacles. Hamilton is putting them on, is putting the spectacles on. Again, he says something to Mr. Pendleton and tests the light. Now he's repeating the experiment and still again looking toward the sun, pointing the pistol in various directions. Colonel Burr stands immobile, his face a mask. General... General Hamilton seems to be... Yes, he is. He's apologizing for delaying the fight. He's in his proper place now. Mr. Pendleton has walked away, has stepped out of range once again. Colonel Burr is towing the ground, which is loose with scattered pebbles. Mr. Pendleton... Is ready to give the order to fire. Are you ready? General Hamilton says he is. Colonel Burr nods yes. This? Both men are lifting their pistols, taking aim. Burr is staggering. He's been hit. No, his foot slid on a stone. A clipped tree branch is dropping beside him where Hamilton's bullet struck, and it's Hamilton who's been hit. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at rileyandkimmy.com.